0: Jai. Inattakoti Vaishnava Rinda Kee Jai. Namacharya Sivaharadas Thakur Kee Jai. Prem Srikahoshri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhupada Srinivasananda Sridwayatika Dadharasri Vastagora Dr. Vinda Kee Jai. Shri Sri Radha Krishna Goga Pina Radha Kunda Girigobardana Kee Jai. Vrindavan Dham Kee Jai. Vithura Dham Kee Jai. Navajit Mayapur Dham Kee Jai. Jagannath Puritam Kee Jai. Ganga Juna Devi Kija, Bhakti Devi Kija, Josima maharani Kija, Samaveta Bhakta Vrindika, Gaur Pramananda. All, All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om, Vishnu Praya, Krishna Prasaya, Rutale. Dari bhakti vadhandja swami niti namane namaste sarasvati Devi goravani Bajani vase sisam yabhati vaska jade sathama Mandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta-parakam-nam Sri gula nivvastya <laughs> Sri Rupam Sagrujatham Sahagana Raganatam Vidam Stam-sajitam. Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Praditrachana Saitam krishna Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita <laughs> Sri Vishakam Vidamした. So it's March first, twenty thirteen in Indonesia, Johannesburg, South Africa. And we're going to be. Yes? No, I the mic up? No, I want it, I put it there. Oh. Like that. So can you hear me? No. You can't hear me. The problem is that I can't see. if you put it there, then I can't see. All right. There? Is that all right? Yeah. Would you? That would be nice. Let's solve the problem. We're going to look tonight at choosing our association. What's the importance of association? How does it affect us? There you go. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay. So there's a very nice quote in the Nectar Devotion, Chapter 12, and I'm going to ask you who's being quoted here. The quote is, association is very important. It acts like a crystal stone, which will reflect anything which is put before it. Similarly, if we associate with the flower-like devotees of the Lord, and if our hearts are crystal clear, then certainly the same action will be there. So do you know who Rupa Goswami is quoting that says that our heart's like a crystal stone? Anybody have any idea who Rupa Goswami is quoting in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu? Now this quote? No? He's quoting Hirenyakashipu. Isn't that funny? Pretty funny, huh? If you look up the term association of devotees in the Veda base, you'll find it um, 636 times. It's a phrase that Srila Prabhupada uses a lot. So first of all, we're going to think about how, what is the process by which other people's association affects us? What actually happens? What's the dynamics of it? So, what kind of people affect us? What categories of people? Anybody suggest? Aggressive. Huh?
1: Aggressive in the workplace.
0: Okay, so people we work with. Let's not say right now whether they're nice or aggressive. but people. Let's just say people we work with. Co-workers, yeah? Family members. Family members. Hmm. Famous people. famous people. That's a good one. I like that. Okay. Somebody else. Friends. friends. Others. Government officials. government officials. Okay. Any other category? We have co-workers, family, friends, devotees. famous people, government officials, devotees. Okay, so we might have devotees who are not family or friends, but they're devotees. Okay, yes? Okay, but I'm looking right now just at humans. I wasn't
1: I mean that that's kinda
0: cool. I might include that at some point. But I was I'm, I'm thinking just in terms of humans right now.
1: Associates beyond family and friends, just
0: beyond family, friends and co workers? Like in what context would you associate with them?
1: Maybe like you know, at least you got to talk to somebody to get to somebody
0: else. That kind of thing, like business associates. Okay, so that, so so not just co-workers, but other people at work. So amazing. people at work. Some of them that we work with more closely than mm-hmm. others. Yes. Okay, we might be members of different clubs or associations. Generally professional ones, you're thinking, or? Uh,
1: religious, or well, any other thing, I like um, extra brutal, maybe for people just
0: want to keep together. Okay, with some sort of shared interest. Mm-hmm. All right? Any other? Humans? I'll make it specific. <laughs> any other humans with whom we, is there any other category of humans with whom we associate with? I think we've mm-hmm. missed at least one that I can think of. Can you Oh, previous acharyas, okay. We, we might put that in the category of famous people and devotees, but we could make a separate category. Previous acharyas, okay, I like that, thank you. And the other category of people with whom we associate. Okay, Teachers. And that could be at school, or it could even be in a workplace. Or it could even be, you know, in, in, your, in your ordinary life, you may get some, you may even buy some book or take some course where you learn something. Yes? Okay, other students who are taking the same course as you. Again, that doesn't have to be that you're in a formal school. It doesn't have to be that you're in a university but I think many people take courses, yes? In different things, okay. Other categories? Subordinates, okay. So we have, at work there's different categories. You have your coworkers, you have sort of your subordinates, you might have your authorities at work. And then you have just other people at work that you may have to interact with sometime, but they're not in that regular category, okay? Some other categories of people? Anybody here ever go shopping? Right? Or do all of you have your, everything you need just delivered to your door?
1: What about associating with the Lord when you're serving? Whoa. Mm -hmm.
0: That's nice. Okay, so let's have people at, at stores. So the other shoppers in the store and the people who work in the store. Okay, and then the Lord. Yes, that's nice. Oh, I like that. Well, that opens up a whole new vista here. Okay, I can think of some more. Now I'm thinking of at least two more categories of people we associate with. Oh, spiritual masters. Oh, cool. I mean, that could be previous acharyas, but the spiritual masters could also be people we're physically associating with on the, on the Earth planet with our physical eyes. Okay.
1: Role
0: models? Huh? Role models. Role models? Mm-hmm. Like famous people?
1: Uh, not necessarily famous <clears> people.
0: <throat> could be, they could be a separate category. People who are exemplary in some way even though they may not be particularly famous, like if you read some inspiring stories about somebody? You're thinking like that? They may be an ordinary, not famous person, but they're a role model in some way. You may read about them or hear about them. I still think of at least two more, and I'm sure there's more I'm not thinking of. Any of you people have servants? You don't have servants. Some of you here have servants? Yes? So there's servants? And maybe masters? Masters, I'm thinking of as, as probably more would be your, your superiors at work. But your, if you have house servants, they're not really your subordinates at work. They're in a little different category than your subordinates at work. I'm also thinking about the Lord's personal associates. So, you talked about the Lord, we're associating with the Lord, the previous Acharyas. Uh, I don't know, would you put like Lalita and Vishaka in, in category of previous Acharyas? They're kind of a different category, aren't they? Mm. Yes. Okay. So, we may be associating with them. Persons like, you know, Druva Maharaj. But they're not quite in the category you wouldn't really call Jūva maharaj or lalita Vishaka previous acharya it's not but they're the lord's associate we also associate with them when we read the shastra and in many temples one associates with them in deity forms correct yes kavad maharaj etc all right so you can see that there's we have uh, different, very different kinds, ooh, very different kinds of relationships. Yeah. Okay. That was my fault because I was playing. Okay. This is always the problem: how to have the mic in front of you and see your paper, paper, paper. So you can see that the the nature of these relationships is quite different, isn't it? Yes. On one level, there's a continuum of intimacy, we could say. That with some people, we have very minimal relationships. So of all these different categories we talked about, which sort of people would we have the most minimal relationships with?
1: Those
0: that you don't like. (laughs) Those that you don't like. That's not always true. I'm sorry, I I beg to differ with you. Sometimes we have very intimate relationships with people that we really don't like. (laughs) Sorry, I I don't don't mean to contradict you, but but, uh, in fact, people come and talk to me about this sort of thing all the time. (laughs) Wherever, Wherever I go, there's at least one person that comes and talks to me about a relationship with a person who is both very intimate and very much unliked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> Hare Krishna
0: we might like it that the people we don't like we weren't intimate with but that is not always the case shop attendants huh?
1: like
0: shop, shop attendants, other shoppers I was saying other shoppers also like other people at an airport you know, someone who's on the train with you or on the plane with you or something People walking down the street. So those generally the least, but not always. Not always, isn't it? Sometimes you end up with whole conversations with another person waiting in the queue. You say queue or line here. You say queue. Other people waiting in the queue at the cashier, or someone sitting next to you at an airplane seat. Sometimes that happens. You know. Sometimes you never say a word to such people, and sometimes you end up in in a very deep conversation you really get to know such people but I think we have or like we're talking about people at work that we don't really work with but they're just someone else at work and then generally the people we're the most intimate with are the people we live with generally again that's not always the case sometimes people are a lot closer to those they don't live with than they live with just being in the same house with someone doesn't mean that you're really revealing your mind just like disliking someone doesn't mean that they're the person you're most intimate with. So we have a continuum of intimacy, and we can't always determine where a person is on that intimacy level by what ca- which of these categories we put them in, which is quite interesting. You may have somebody that officially it may look like you're very intimate with them, but you may not be at all. You can have two people who live in the same house, and live in the same house for 20 years and hardly know each other. Can that happen? I oh, certainly can. Right. And there can be people, again, that you just meet in, in some casual level who have a huge impact on your life, or you may have a huge impact on their life, even if you only meet them once and never see them again. So we definitely have a continuum of intimacy, and we have very different types of relationships. We have some relationships where that person is superior to us, some where they are equal, some where they are subordinate, and some where it's quite confusing. They may be our superior on one level, one, one type of thinking of superior. They might be our boss at work, but in terms of spiritual consciousness, they may be our inferior. And that can be reversed also. There may be someone who's our subordinate in a, in a material sense, who spiritually are superior. That, of course, is the story of Maharaj Rahugana and Jad Bharat. Maharaj Rahugana was the king. And Jad Bharata had obviously been born in a Brahmin family. He had a dirty Brahmin thread. But he was acting externally as if he couldn't see or hear or speak. And the king's palanquin carriers, or one of their carriers... Became indisposed and needed a new carrier. They took this person as somebody who was only fit to carry a palanquin; that he, he wasn't useful for anything else. So he appeared to be subordinate to the king, but actually he was far superior to the king in realization. And at one point, Maharajah you know, there's a nice verse in the Bhagavatam when he says, "I offer my obeisances to all the great souls who may be looking like little children, or may be looking like." wandering beggars or maybe in disguise in so many ways. And we see this, by the way, at least I see this in the Hare Krishna movement, that the devotees who are most advanced, some of them have big titles and positions and some of them don't. That you can't, when I first joined the Hare Krishna movement, I figured the people with the titles and positions must be the most advanced devotees and the people washing the pots must be the least advanced devotees, and that simply isn't the case. That so there's maybe some official etiquette Just like Jayananda, who probably said we should observe his disappearance day, he was building the Rath Yatra carts and going out and buying the boga and taking out the garbage and things like that. And he wasn't temple president for about a year, but most of the work he did was manual labor. This is a funny story of one devotee who came to visit the temple when Jayananda was the garbage man, and he said, "Can I do any service?" And they said, "Sure, you can help take out the rubbish." So as he's helping Jayananda. He was really impressed, and he thought, wow, if the garbage collectors of the temple are this advanced, just think what everybody else is like. <laughs> now, how is it that we, 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 can, we think about how do other people affect us? Right now, we're going to look at how do other people affect us more than how we affect them, although well, we could think about that as well. And what is, what is the process? I mean, Rupa is quoting Kashi Kashipu here saying that our hearts up like a crystal and we reflect whatever association we have but how, how does that exactly happen and I think if we, if we meditate in terms of all these different kinds of relationships that we have how do we end up getting affected some thoughts on the different ways we end up getting affected yes
1: be positively
0: or negatively. Okay, what's, what's the process? What's the process by which another person that I interact with affects me, whether that effect on me is positive or negative?
1: The mood. The mood. Of that
0: person. Okay, how does the mood of that person po- affect me, whether positive or negative? If he's
1: uh-huh. angry,
0: yeah.
1: then if he's superior, you may be afraid
0: oh okay I like this so if some, especially if someone's in a position of power over me if somebody has power over me then I may be afraid of them being displeased with me and therefore what will I do I will try to please them out of fear So one way other people's association affect me is out of fear. I have fear that unless I act in a certain way or don't act in a certain way, I'll get some sort of consequences. So it's kind of of, I'm looking for punishments and rewards. And in order to avoid punishments and get rewards, I modify my behavior. I may modify not only my behavior, I may modify my... Hmm? I may mean, even modify my beliefs now generally if, if it's a power situation then the modification doesn't generally extend to beliefs it generally just extends to behavior and sometimes language and as soon as I'm away from that person then I no longer modify my behavior and my language to please them, that's generally the case However, if I'm in a situation for long periods of time with the person who has power over me, it may end up also affecting my beliefs. Does that make sense to everybody? So you see that. that If we think historically, for example, in Spain, during the Spanish Inquisition, anyone who wasn't a member of the Roman Catholic Church was tortured. You all familiar with this part of history? In fact, the the Spaniards also went to the Western Hemisphere and engaged in torture of the native people in order to convert them to Roman Catholicism. So there were many people in Spain at that time. There was a large Jewish community in Spain at that time. And if they didn't convert to Catholicism, they would be tortured and killed. So they didn't actually want to convert but they adopted the rituals and the behaviors of a Roman Catholic. And what many of the families did was they would secretly carry on Jewish rituals in their cellar. But what happened over time is that the generations no longer knew what they were doing these secret rituals for. So over some time, the families actually did become Catholic because the oppression was constant. So, if you're in a position of, with somebody who has power over you, you know what we generally do is we modify our behaviors and our speech. We're talking about body, mind, and words. Engaging our body, mind, and words in Krishna consciousness, I'll generally try to modify my body and my words, but keep my mind as I want it. Is that correct? Yes. However, if the person who has power over me has power over large areas of my life or large times of my life and I continuously have to have different behavior and different speech than I really believe, eventually it may start affecting my beliefs. Because these things are very interconnected. Our thoughts, our feelings, our speaking, our behaviors are very interrelated. This is the process of bhakti process of bhakti is I try to hit all these with bhakti. I try to act as if I'm a devotee. When we start our Krishna consciousness, please excuse me, we're not really devotees yet when we start, in, in one sense. I mean, in a sense, yes we are, but, but not really in an ultimate sense. Although when you start usually you feel, now I become a devotee, now I to Krishna, but in terms of really what a, de, what a real devotee is, But we act like a devotee. We say, "Okay, what does a devotee do? A devotee offers obeisances, a devotee chants, a devotee. So we imitate that behavior of a devotee. And we start talking the way a devotee talks. We may not feel that way, but we start talking that way. And by acting that way and talking that way, we start getting our thoughts and feelings start coming along with our body and words. So the same thing happens in general. If you act a certain way and you talk a certain way and you do that often enough, after a while, you'll really start believing that way. It's very, very difficult not to. In fact, that's one of the real challenges if you're in some sort of a situation where you have to hide that you're a devotee. If you're in some kind of a work situation or a school situation, some sort of situation where... uh, One of the devotees in our movement was telling me that he has a disciple who's a Muslim. He's actually never met this person. The person found out about Krishna consciousness over the Internet and contacted this devotee over the Internet. And he's actually a teacher of imans. You know what imans are? They're like the Muslim priests. So he trains and teaches Muslim priests, just imagine. So he's become a devotee and he got initiated over the internet and he talks to his guru over the internet. But uh, he lives in a Muslim country and I suggested to, this, to the guru, I said, no, I'm sure there's other devotees in that country he can associate with and the guru said, but he can't even tell his wife he's a devotee. Because if he tells his wife that he's a devotee, she can have the marriage annulled and, and take custody of the children. Now my husband's become a non-Muslim. Scary, huh? So just imagine if you have to keep your Krishna consciousness secret even from your own family members and from everybody you work with and you can't have any external association with devotees. So that's going, that puts a real strain on a person over time. Actually, I know another case where there's a devotee who's a Protestant minister. And again, none of his congregation know that he's a devotee fascinating people who end up in very interesting situations okay so the one way that we get affected by our association is when somebody has power over us and uh, we modify our behavior and our speech and possibly even our beliefs due to fear of punishment and reward okay what's another way that that we are affected what's another process by which we're affected by association yes love so if we actually love and trust people then what do we try to do we try to serve them we try to what else we try to please them so it's very much the same thing with somebody that we're afraid of except in this case we actually try to modify our beliefs as well we try to change our character. So when it's fear, what we try to do is adjust our externals while, not, while keeping our internal. When it's love, we actually try to change our internal. When you really love somebody, you want to change the kind of person you are in order to please them. And of course, you can understand that that's the most powerful kind of association. The, the association we have with people who we love and who we trust Not just love, but also trust. Because if you love somebody, but you don't trust them. Do we have people like that, that we love but don't trust? Yes? Yes? Do we have people we have affection for, but we don't trust them? So we generally, in that case, we're not so much modifying our, our internal. But if there's people that we both love and trust, then we want them to like us. So the people who have power over me... I don't really want them to, I don't really care if they like me, I just want them to reward me. I'm not so concerned whether or not they like me. In fact, if I really have very different beliefs than them, I try to avoid having them get to know me. Whereas if I really love and trust somebody, I want them to know me, and I want them to really like me. So, those are the relationships where we're likely to change ourselves at the deepest level and make a conscious effort to change ourselves at the deepest level. So, those are the most significant associations in terms of affecting us. Any other process by which we're affected by our association? Hmm? Lust. Okay, if I want something from somebody, if I want something from somebody, then I may act in such a way to impress them or bargain with them so that they'll give me what, they, what I want. Again, that tends to be more superficial. So I'm not afraid of them, but you have something that I want. And therefore, I'm going to change how I behave in order to get it from you. I think that's related to power. It's not exactly the same thing. Some other way. Yes? I don't understand. You said love somebody and not trust them. But surely, if you don't trust them after a period of time, the love's going to. I don't think that's true at all. Sure. I know of a family whose son is a heroin addict. They love him, but they don't trust him. They love him a lot, but they won't even let him in the house. <laughs> don't you have people like that in your life <laughs> that you feel affectionate toward, but you don't trust them? Uh, I mean, huh? No heroin addicts. Huh? No heroin addicts. But still, I mean, I have people in my life that I have a lot of love and affection for, but I've also had bad experiences with them. And I don't dislike them. I don't have any. I don't have any feeling of animosity towards them. You know, but I wouldn't lend them money or something like that. I mean, you know, I have quite a few people in my life like that. And I, have, I have. affection for them, and I have. I care about them. I want them to do well. I mean, in some cases, I can even say I love them. And I might even do things for them. But I don't trust. I don't trust maybe I don't trust that they actually care about me. Or I don't trust their character in some way. By the way, Krishna feels that way about all the conditioned souls, just to let you know that. Why do you think we're here? Because we're not trustworthy. (laughs) Just a little aside. As Sachinandamara said, that it's not so much whether we have faith in God but whether God has faith in us. You know, that this process of bhakti, it's really trying to convince Krishna that we're trustworthy. Krishna is very soft. Especially Krishna. He's very soft. And it's explained when Krishna kills the demons, he does so through his Vasudev feature. So therefore, nobody's going to be en- no one's going to be allowed to enter into Goloka Vrindavan, even by gunta, if you're going to cause Krishna trouble. You can certainly love people and not trust them. What else? What about just like even strangers at an airport or at a store? How, how are, how did how, what's the process by which they affect our behavior? And they certainly do. There's plenty of psychological studies to show that we modify our behavior in response to strangers in public places.
1: Hmm? You check
0: that your bag is closed. <laughs> 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 I'm in South Africa. Aren't I? <laughs> oh, that's great.
1: <laughs> oh, you check your bag is closed. I like that. <laughs> oh, <good laughs> oh else? That was great. Yeah. maybe similar short-term interests, like if they're traveling in the same direction, to the same destination, there's things to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's
0: interesting. I wasn't thinking of that, but I've noticed that, for example, I don't have a mobile phone, and if, if the person who's supposed to pick me up doesn't show up and I want to borrow somebody's mobile phone, if I find someone who has been on the same flight as I was, they're more likely to lend it to me. There's a certain feeling of community that you get when you do something with somebody else, even if you had no conversation with them and you have no idea who they are. So we we do tend to kind of a, get in a sense that we're part of the same group and we should help each other more than we should help others. We get in sort of an us-and-them mentality
1: mm-hmm.
0: with other groups. It's very interesting. I, I noticed that very clearly one time, I'd been traveling extensively in countries where people didn't speak English. And where I I could, you know, where everywhere I went, I had to have a translator, where even the devotees around me didn't speak English. And I was, I remember when I was in the Shanghai airport, I heard some other people not only speaking English but speaking with an American accent and not only an American accent but a Northeastern American accent and I immediately felt this sort of sense of kinship with them. It was quite interesting. I sort of observed my feelings in that regard and they with me. You know, immediately, oh, here's somebody like me. So that's true. Even with strangers, we have a sense of this group of people is like me in some way then this group of people is not like me in some way. This is referred to in Bhagavad Gita, Swajana, my own people. So even with, with absolute strangers, we can get a sense of these are my people and these are not my people. And how does that affect us?
1: Positively.
0: It depends how you want to think about it. But what, what, how does that change our behavior and our attitude? yes, you're more favorable to those you're more likely to help people that you identify with as as belonging to your group you're more likely to avoid people that you identify as not belonging to your group interesting, isn't it? okay I'm still thinking of some other things there's some interesting studies that have been done psychological studies if you're in, in, a, in a public place with other people, and you see somebody fall to the ground, what determines whether you go and help that person? A lot of that is determined by the behavior of other people around you. So if the other pe- you, you, what we do is we look around and we see how are other people reacting to this. And if we see that nobody else pays any attention, we're likely not to pay attention. And if we see that other people are paying attention, we're likely to pay attention. Some of these studies were done where people, again, who didn't know each other were put in a room, and smoke was put into the room. And if some of the people reacted, you know, they have some people who are, who are uh, participants and some, some people who are... Uh, people who know they're part of the experiment, people who don't know they're part of the experiment, I can't remember the terms. So the people who are deliberately part of the experiment, if they just ignore the smoke... Then the other people also ignore it. If the people around you are ignoring the smoke, you're only like 30 percent likely to react to it yourself. And if other people react to it, then you're 70 percent likely to react to it. So we often gauge what is proper behavior by what other people are doing, even if they're complete strangers. Why? Why do we do that?: to be accepted?: Yes. We want to be accepted.
1: Social
0: pressure. Social pressure. Isn't that funny? Even people that we don't know, they're absolute strangers. We may never see them again in our life. They have no power over us whatsoever. And we have no relationship of love and trust with them or love and not trust or anything. We have nothing. They have no effect in our lives. We don't know their names. We'll never know their names. We'll never interact with them again. And yet, we have a sense of wanting to fit in and not wanting to appear foolish, isn't that interesting? So there's very robust studies to show that we have this tendency. In the Bhagavatam, there's the story of Narada Muni's previous life as a Gantarva and how he had been highly regarded among the Gantarvas. but then one day when all the other demigods were having Sankirtan, he started singing demigod songs, and so he was cursed to become a shudra. And I remember in one temple we were discussing this verse and we all got into a very big discussion about how we have a strong tendency to want to fit in and be accepted as in a social group. And this is a big issue for us as devotees of Krishna. Because we do have ideals and behaviors and mindsets that are very different from the society in general. About the only places you can go where we fit in with the whole society is like Vrindavan <coughs> or Tirupati or Sri Rangam or someplace like that. I mean, if you're walking in the streets of Vrindavan with your hand in a bag and Tilak on, you're just normal. Everybody's doing that. But in most other parts of the world, it's very abnormal. And people are going to see you as strange. And there's, there's a strong resistance on our part to doing something that looks odd or peculiar or that other people may criticize all right. So these these factors, these processes, obviously, I believe to everybody here, can work for us or against us. And who is who is there among us who's immune to this? Who can say? I never modify my behavior out of fear. I never modify my behavior or my beliefs to fit in or out of fear or even out of affection. That's just, it's just simply not the case. Or another thing I was thinking of uh, with, that we didn't mention was just being inspired because we talked about like past acharyas and role models. So those people may not know me in any way that I can discern. So if they're a famous person like some famous movie star, they definitely don't know me at all. If they're one of the previous acharyas, then they may know me, but I may not have awareness that they know me. So maybe Bhaktivinoda Thakurin knows me very well, but I don't have any sensory evidence of that. It's not like, you know, the stranger at the store, the stranger in the mall, if I'm there with my hand in my bead bag going, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, you know, I get immediate feedback from the stranger in the mall (laughs) (laughs) who has no impact in my life but I'm not getting that kind of immediate feedback from Bhakti Vinod Thakur so that's quite a different process everything we've been talking about so far is because I'm getting some sort of feedback loop from the other person their pleasure or displeasure their view of me but we also do model ourselves after persons where we're not getting that kind of feedback loop I, I just read about somebody. I read about somebody, you know, they, were, they lost their legs in a fire and they got, you know, they, they worked and they worked and they worked and they became something, right? And you go, well, if they can do that, I can do something for Krishna. Yes? And I may modify my behavior. I remember reading a story once about this woman who would compete in open ocean swimming in very cold water. She once swam, I think, from the north to the south island of New Zealand, and she once also swam from a boat to Antarctica. And in order to do this kind of swimming, which is also dangerous, I mean, there's sharks and stuff like that, but in order to swim in very cold water for a long period of time, she had to acclimate herself to the cold. So she had to, first of all, gain quite a bit of weight and have a lot of fat, but at the same time be very strong and athletic and she would do things like you know, walk outside in the winter with just a t-shirt and shorts on. And she would do also things like um, immerse herself in, in ice water for gradually increasing periods of time. I can't remember what I was reading the story. Anyway, what, what, what struck me in this story was first of all how ridiculously foolish this was and, and how this woman was probably going to take birth as a seal. But, <laughs> but the other thing that struck me was how incredibly determined she was how fixed on this goal of I don 't know what the purpose of it is, you know I don't see what value attaining this goal has to anybody, to herself, to any other human beings, to anybody. I just I just couldn't see the the value of it, but she was so determined and so fixed that she dedicated her whole life to this, and I thought, if somebody can dedicate their whole life to something like that, why you know why can't I be as dedicated in my Krishna consciousness as this person is? to this goal. So we sometimes have this sort of experience, right? Or we'll read about some great devotee and we'll think, oh, if only I could be like that. So how does that work? Because that's not the other person's pleasure or displeasure isn't coming at us. And the other person isn't affecting us. We may never even meet them. What's that process? How does that work?
1: Yeah? Probably based on our search for the truth. Our mm. meaning of life as a human being, and there is evidence, scientific, that person's done it. There
0: is a way. Is, isn't that, that nice? I think that's really nice. I, th- I think that kind of association and that kind of inspiration gives us hope that we're not simply mm. a stimulus and response beings who are just controlled by whoever is around us. In other words, we have the capability of intentionally moulding ourselves according to someone else's association, even if they're not giving us anything back in return. So that that gives us quite a lot of hope, yes. It makes
1: us believe in ourselves as well, based on what other people have done, makes us believe that we can do more than what we believe ourselves to come
0: to I think it also gives us some some strength and belief that I can choose who I want to model myself after. I'm not simply controlled by the behavior and the influence of the other people in my society. That even if I'm surrounded by people who would, you know, intentionally or not, you know, the stranger in the mall is not intentionally trying to influence you in a particular way, although they are. But that, whether, that I can rise above that and I can choose to mod- I can choose the people I want to model myself after, even though people in my environment may be pushing me in another direction. I think that gives us quite a bit of hope that I don't have to be totally subject just to the pleasure and the displeasure of the people around me. So let, let's look at the problems with non-devotee association. Now, obviously, the more that I'm trying to please a non-devotee for whatever reason—whether it's out of fear, or whether it's out of affection, or whether it's out of just this sort of almost invisible social pressure—or because I become inspired by some non-devotee role model—so certainly they're going to that will inculcate in me behaviors that are opposed to my goals of Krishna consciousness. Uh, but it may also give me a taste for materialistic things. So in order to please materialistic people, I may do the things that they're doing, and then I may come to, to get some taste for that. Prabhupada says in the Nectar Devotion that whatever we do, we're doing to enjoy some rasa. There's twelve rasas. Right? Awe and reverence and serving and friendship and parental and romantic. There's also rasas of comedy and fear, and anger, and ghastliness, and there's altogether 12 different ways of of enjoyment. Russ is a way of enjoyment. So if I associate with people who are getting pleasure in a particular way, then I may end up also finding my pleasure in that way. Now, of course, material pleasure is not real pleasure, but I may become accustomed to it. I may become conditioned to it. Also, if if we associate a lot with materialists, we may end up getting a lot of doubts about spirituality. Now, for one reason, is that materialistic people will be very mocking of spiritual faith. It's very difficult to speak and act on the basis of spiritual faith around highly materialistic people. You'll feel embarrassed. You'll feel embarrassed to talk about God, even, what to speak of Krishna around materialistic people. And some of this is very subtle. They may just look at you funny, or they may just be silent. It's not necessarily that they have to say to you, you're a complete fool to believe in God. You know, it it doesn't have to be that gross. It can just be, yeah, yeah, okay, um, and when is our meeting tomorrow? You know, we, we give, many ways we give people signals that this is not a proper topic for conversation. So the more we associate with materialistic people, the more we may think well maybe God really isn't so important you know, maybe there's other things that are more important maybe spiritual happiness is just as Prabhupada says the materialistic people think spiritual happiness is a myth also materialistic people and even uh, sometimes neophyte devotees may encourage us to be offensive to other devotees so if we're around people who are very fault finding of saintly persons and devotees so in order to get along with them we may not want to praise anybody Right, if you praise the devotees around very critical people, then they'll just turn and say, well, but you know, they also did this, they also did this. Then yeah. you get afraid to say anything positive. You ever been in those sort of awkward situations where somebody's being very, very critical and you feel like if, if you don't agree with them or if you say something positive, they're going to think that you're just naive? Well, you know, this person did this, and this person did that, and this person did that, and <laughs> that. And you say, well, how do you know? I mean, do you really know? Maybe it's rumors. Well, what are you? You're just a blind follower and you're just this and that? Or again, and it may be just subtle. It may be just a look where you think, oh,
1: yeah.
0: Maybe there is something to this sort of thing. And basically, what we would call bad association, it can end up driving us away from what we really want. We may end up acting and believing and speaking in ways that are contrary to who we want to be, I'm like, well, what's happening to me? So I, I had a really poignant experience of this when I was in university, trying to become a devotee. Because I stayed at the temple for a couple of weeks on a on a work program, then I went back to university to finish the year and wait until I was of legal age to move into the ashram. So the on my 18th birthday some other girls in my dormitory said, why don't we go see an R-rated movie? So I wasn't going to the movies at all at that point. And I said, well, I'm I'm not going to the movies, you know. I'm trying to be a devotee of Krishna. I'm I'm trying to change my life. And they kept pressuring me and pressuring me and pressuring me and pressuring me. And so finally I said, okay. And it was a terrible movie. Oh, it was a terrible movie. It was horrible. It's about some woman who was an axe murderer and went around killing people. I I can still remember that. At least I remember the scene with her running around with the axe. And it taught me a really big lesson. You know that we have to be careful that if we're associating with materialistic people, they can convince us to do things that we don't want to do. I didn't want to go. I really didn't want to go. But they were really nice girls and they lived down the they lived down the hall from me in school and you know so this is the problem with bad association that you can end up doing things. I mean, that, that incident convinced me, boy, I've really got to get to be with the devotees. You know, I, I can't stay here with the non-devotees. I'm doing things I don't want to do. All right, and how do, what's the special... benefit? Now, we have some special benefits of associating with devotees that go beyond all the things we've just talked about. That when you associate with the devotees, something happens beyond... That I'm trying to please them and that I model myself after them and that they mold my behavior, whether out of just general social pressure or out of love and affection or either out of fear. What are some of the special benefits we get from association with devotees? Huh? They increase your faith. They increase your faith, yes. Okay. But those are all things that. that happen in a negative way with non-devotees. Does that make sense? So non-devotees will decrease my faith, devotees will increase. But that's happening by the same, by the same methods. That I'm making an intentional or, or unconscious effort to please them. You know, again, I'm not making a conscious effort to please the other people in a shop, but I am trying to please them. So either consciously or unconsciously. But there's something else that happens with association of devotees, yes. They inspire you to look into your spiritual
1: consciousness, life, and.
0: Okay, but that, but that's all the same. Ca- it's all right, but that's all the same category. I get inspired. I want to please them. Something totally different than we've already talked about. Yes.
1: Probably, I'm, just, I'm getting towards some kind of a blessing.
0: Some... Yeah. Okay, so something's happening that's out out of this box we've talked about. Yes? Yes. So there's something about the association of devotees that's outside of the box of normal association. In addition to the normal association stuff is also happening. They're inspiring me. I'm trying to please them. Or I'm afraid. I don't want to fit in. That's all happening with the association of devotees. But something else is, I'm getting mercy from Krishna. He starts getting really happy. You know, he starts getting really happy. Exactly like, exactly like that if somebody has a dog and you say, what a nice dog, they like you. You know, I was a teacher and a school principal for many, many years. And sometimes you have to tell parents negative things about their children. You just have to. It's part of your job. You, you don't have a choice about it, but boy. It's really dangerous. <laughs> Especially if you want to be that person's friend outside of school. You know, the parents only want you to say nice things about their children. It's really hard being a teacher, by the way. Because that's one the, that that's the main difficult thing about being a teacher is if ever you have to go to a parent and say you know there's something wrong with your child Krishna doesn't want to hear anything negative about his devotees he he has that same feeling Prabhupada says in Krishna book in the story of Jambavan that Krishna has all the, the feelings that we have or you could say we have all the feelings that Krishna has. So Krishna has natural affection for his devotees. I mean, in one sense, Jivara, Krishna, does all living entities are his devotees. So Krishna doesn't want us to hurt anybody. Krishna doesn't want us to disrespect anybody. But especially those who surrender to Krishna. If we try to please them, Krishna becomes very happy and he gives us special blessings. More than if we just try to please Krishna directly. I mean, if you insult my children and then you try to please me i'm not going to be very interested but if you insult me and you please my children i'll, I'll still like you that is just natural you know and i i'm much more pleased if you do something for one of my children or my grandchildren than if you do something for me it's just just the way it is so krishna also feels that also, Vishnu Chakravati explains in Madoya Kadumbani that Krishna is neutral. So who gets bhakti? Bhakti comes from bhakti only. But whose bhakti does our bhakti come from? It comes from the bhakti of the devotees. So we get the seed of bhakti and the development of bhakti. There's a transcendental thing going on there that the devotee desires that we get bhakti and therefore Krishna's mercy follows the mercy of the devotees. And without the mercy of the devotees, ninety nine point nine 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 percent, you're not gonna get bhakti. Sometimes Krishna gives bhakti directly, but that's unusual. Because generally Krishna is neutral. He's just neutral. So how will the conditioned soul ever get bhakti? Because the devotees are not neutral. The devotees go out and just they try to give bhakti to everybody. And then Krishna's mercy follows the mercy of the devotee. Uh, Also also another example, Yasya Prasada Bhagavat Prasado, Yasya Prasada Nagatik Topi, that when you please the devotee, Krishna will be pleased. So I had the example when I was in graduate school that the head of the school of education wanted to make some changes in my program that were not normally done by the university. But because he wanted them, the university allowed it. Because he was a big guy in the university. And he said, I want her to do this. They said, okay, even though it wasn't really in their rules. So Krishna's also like that with the devotee. When you please the devotee, Krishna will say, okay, I'll accept this person. Of course, we see this with Jagai and Mudai, where Lord Chaitanya wanted to kill Jagai and Mudai. And Lord Chaitanya said, no, you know, no, no, I've excused them, you should please accept them. And Lord says, okay, if you've accepted them, I've accepted them. So when the devotee says, I've accepted you, then Krishna also accepts us. So I want to read something from 325.25, which is, uh, I'm not sure if you have this. So, yes, you do. This is from Satamprasangomamaviryasambhidho. Sapravarga tajyoshinadvasapravargaradmanin And that's satam prasanga. So we have sata, sata is the transcendentalist, sangha association, prasanga, deep association. This is in the purport. The process of advancing in Krishna consciousness and devotional service is described here. The first point is that one must seek the associations of persons who are Krishna conscious and engage in devotional service. Without such association, one cannot make advancement. Simply by theoretical knowledge or study, one cannot make any appreciable advancement. One must give up the association of materialistic persons and seek the association of devotees, because without the association of devotees, one cannot understand the activities of the Lord. Okay, so just very briefly, because we're starting to run out of time, we'll look at how we associate with devotees. So, of course, Upa Goswami explains this in the Nectar of Instruction in text four and five. So in text four, he talks about the loving exchanges with the devotees. So there's three main categories, gifts, confidences, and prasadam. So, it's, and I'm not going to get into this again in detail now, I actually have all of their seminars specifically on this loving exchanges with devotees. But the point is that it involves both giving and receiving, that we should be willing to receive and we should be willing to give. And we should give and receive appropriately to what will please the other person. We give other people prasadam that they like to eat just like Krishna when Mother Yasoda goes out of the room he takes the prasadam from his plate and he gives to the other cowherd boys their favorite preparations. Mahaprabhu also does this. When he's serving the devotees he gives everyone their favorite preparations. So we should serve other people according to their desire. We should give other people gifts that actually are pleasing to them. I remember there was one, I forget what the occasion was, some festival that we were at and devotees were giving gifts to each other and someone gave my oldest son a China dog. He's just looking at this like, what am I going to do? So... One it should be actually a loving exchange, and should, we should reveal our mind in confidence to people who are trustworthy. We should have a trustworthy we should have trustworthy people in our lives to whom we can reveal our minds in confidence, and we should also be a trustworthy person to whom other people can reveal their minds in confidence. So we have these six loving exchanges, both giving and receiving. Sometimes there are some devotees who only like to receive, and some who only like to give, but we should do both. And devotees never like to receive it. No, no, don't give me anything. But that's also part of the loving exchanges. And of course, the main gift we should give and receive is the holy name. Then we should give and receive according to relationships of equal, superior, and subordinate. And this is described in different ways. Rupa Goswami describes it as one who's chanting the holy name is the neophyte, one who's received the Gayatri Mantra and is worshipping the deity is the intermediate, and one who never stops their devotional service, and who has no propensity in their heart to criticize anybody else. Not only that they don't criticize, they don't even have a propensity to criticize. Interesting that of all the 26 qualities of a devotee, and of all the qualities that Krishna lists in the Bhagavad Gita, he picks that one. Freedom from any desire to criticize others. And that we that's the topmost devotee. And then there's other descriptions Sometimes the neophyte devotee is described as one who has little faith and knowledge in the scripture, the middle one who has great faith in the scripture but not a lot of knowledge, and the topmost one who has both a lot of faith in the scripture and knowledge of the scripture. Sometimes the divisions are described as one in the lowest level, doesn't know how to treat other living entities, is proud and arrogant and thinks their understanding of spiritual life is the only one, and anyone who has a different understanding is in Maya. God is only in my temple. You know, only the Shiite Muslims are good and not the Sunni Muslims, or whatever. You know, only my particular understanding of Prabhupada's books is right, and anyone who has a different opinion is totally wrong. So that's on, you know, the neophyte level, very critical separatist mentality and then the middle level one who loves God makes friends with the devotees is kind to the innocent and avoid the atheist. And the top one who sees that everybody is Krishna's servant and there's many many other ways we've given just I've identified in the Shastra 20 different ways that the different stages of Krishna consciousness are described so we relate differently if somebody is is lesser than us in advancement in Krishna consciousness we try to be kind to them and help them If they're equal, we make friendship with them, and if they're superior, we serve them. And, of course, these things are not black and white. Somebody may be superior to us in some ways and equal to us in other ways and inferior to us in other ways. People are not just in little boxes. Yes? So there may be a person that, with certain things, we help them, and in other ways, we serve them and they help us. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes? Yes? It's not necessarily that just because someone is my superior, I can never help them and advise them in anything. There may be some areas that I have more realization in or more experience than they do. So we therefore we act accordingly. Then in people in general, and we have this nice quote also on the back of your of your paper. This is, I find, one of the most astonishing, amazing, surprising, wow statements in the Bhagavatam. This is spoken by Narodimha to Dhruva. He says, every man should act like this. When he meets a person more qualified than himself, he should be very pleased. When he meets someone less qualified than himself, he should be compassionate. When he meets someone equal, he should make friendship. Now, what's astonishing is this next statement. In this way, one is never affected by the threefold miseries of the material world. And here Nardumuni is not just talking about devotees. He's talking about anybody. Who here would like to be unaffected by the threefold miseries of the material world? With that guy there, you can pinch him all you want. (laughs) Uh, So simple formula. Amazing. Again, I wish we had time. But something that we could really explore. Why? Why is it that if I just do this one thing, how I deal with other living entities, I'll be unaffected by material miseries. I wish we had time to explore this. This, this is a nice thing to, to plan on doing. This is a nice thing to take a vrat for. You know, people take vrats about they won't eat this kind of food or something like that. But this is a really nice thing to take a vrat for. And it gets very specific. So when you find someone who's more qualified, instead of being envious, be jolly. Generally, when people are more qualified than us, we are envious. We want to pull them down in some way. We're looking for fault. Instead, feel jolly. Wow, there's someone who's more qualified than I am. Then when someone's less qualified, we tend to oppress them, tend to keep them down. So instead, to to raise them up. Someone's less qualified, to raise them up. If someone's equal, what we tend to do is brag about how, how we have some our own accomplishments. How it says we'll be proud of our own activities. We meet someone who's equal. Well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. So instead of doing that, one should treat them as a friend. This is very, very specific behaviors. You can say, for the next three days, whenever I meet somebody or hear somebody who's better than me, I'm gonna feel jolly. Whenever I'm around equals, I'm not going to brag. I'm just going to be a friend. If someone's subordinate, I'm going to help them come up. Now, lastly, we're just going to look briefly. And by the way, I'd I'd like you to, I'm not going to talk about it, but I'd, I'd like to ask you to meditate on why just doing that simple thing would get one unaffected by the material miseries. What are you rooting out when you're doing that? What's the essential problem that you're, that you're getting to? And I just think about it, because I don't have time to talk about it, because I'm going way over time, and some of you are looking at your watches. So the last thing that we're going to look at is uh, just, again, very, very briefly. What we, we touched on at the beginning, there are people we don't like that we're intimate with. Most of us have, at some points in our life, people that we associate with on a regular basis and we have some intimate connection with who are not favorable for our Krishna consciousness. Now, I find that everyone in this situation thinks that this is unique to them. But most people are in this situation, at least at some time in your life. So we may not have this situation every day, all day. Maybe we had this situation 10 years ago and it's gone. Maybe we'll have it two years from now. And some of these people, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but I think we have to say this. Some of these people may be externally devotees. It's not that, that everyone who's bad association has horns and fangs and a tail. Some of them are wearing tilak. Maybe I'm the bad association. I mean, we might think about that also. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just feel I can't serve you properly without having to say some of these things. Maybe, maybe I'm the one who looks like a devotee, and I'm bad association for others also. So there are people who are devotees, they're devotees. There's no question that they're devotees, but they may not be good association. They may not be good association because their habits and their behavior may not be up to the standard. They may not be good association because they're very critical or they're very offensive. They may not be very good association because they're struggling with faith or in some other way they may not be very good association, but we may be in a a frequent relationship with them. And this really requires special attention. I think most of us, the way we would like to deal with such people is pack them up and send them to Antarctica. Or get on a plane and go to another part of the world ourselves or something like that. Or sprinkle some magic powder on them that transforms them into a nice person. However, none of those options is always available to us. Sometimes we're in a situation where we just cannot, for various reasons, you know, send the person away or leave ourselves. Yes? Sometimes that happens. I mean, we read in the Shastra that if someone blasphemes devotees. You're supposed to defeat them or kill yourself or leave. But sometimes you can't do any of those things. You know. And if you're a Brahmin and you kill yourself, you have to go to the hell for killing a Brahmin, which is not a nice hell. It's a copper planet and has fire underneath and the sun shining on it, so it's not a really good idea. And if you say, well, I'm not initiator, but if you're chanting Hare Krishna, you're Vaishnava, you're higher than a Brahmin, you might go there anyway, so please don't commit suicide. So what are you going to do? Sometimes you can't convince the other person and sometimes you can't leave. Could Prahlad Maharaj leave? Could he run away from Hirani Kashipu? Where was he going to run to? Hirani Kashipu was running the whole universe. Where was he going to go? I mean, seriously, where was he going to go? He couldn't go anywhere. So sometimes this happens. You know, what will we do about these situations? And again, we don't really have time to discuss it, but something that came up tonight that has not come up in other seminars I've given on this, but I feel it was really wonderful, is that we do have the ability to be inspired by people even who are not in our physical presence. And we do not necessarily have to mold ourselves strictly according to people who are in our physical presence. We do have the capability of choosing that I'm going to take my inspiration in another way. We discussed this, right? Undoubtedly, that's difficult. I'm not saying that that's easy. And we may sometimes fail. We may sometimes fall from our ideals because of people we're closely associated with that drag us down. That, That may happen. But we do have the capability of deciding who do I want to associate with. And that association may be internal. And I should should say one other thing on this point. If we are in a situation that we cannot get out of, where we are intimately associated with somebody who's really bad news for our spiritual life, and it may be a family member, it may be somebody at work, it may be somebody at school, or whatever. If we're in that situation... There may be a tendency, which I see a lot, that in order to try to preserve our own ideals and our own behavior and our own Krishna consciousness, we may act very cruelly toward that person. We may get very angry at that person. We may be very critical of that person. We may treat that person with a lot of cruelty. So if we're doing that then we're actually more influenced by that person than we'd like to admit. Do you all follow my logic? Therefore, Dharma the Bull said, if you accuse the perpetrator, you're as guilty as the perpetrator. One of those other, you know, amazing statements of the Shastra that you read it and say, what? But if I've got somebody in my life who's who's really bad association, and my view is, oh, they're so this, they're so that, they're so that, they're so that. Then I'm in the same position that they are. I'm not any better. For Maharaj to see that his father was a demon, but he was the well-wisher of his father. He was not envious of his father. He wished his father well. So this is undoubtedly a big challenge it's not it's not easy. You know Radhana Swami loves to quote that one sentence from the relationship of Vasudeva and Kamsa that one's greatness can be estimated by one's ability to tolerate provoking circumstances. How much provoked was Vasudeva by Kamsa but he didn't lose his good character. So I see that sometimes, I mean ultimately it's Krishna who's arranging these things when you're just absolutely stuck. And you can say, this is Krishna's kindness on me for me to develop very deep character. Because frankly, anybody can be well behaved if they're with other nice people. That's easy. You can go for years thinking you're free from anger if there's no irritating people in your life. Right? If everything is just nice in your life, you can think, why, I'm really transcendental. <laughs> so one's greatness can be estimated by one's ability to tolerate provoking circumstances. So we can use such situations in our life not to be tolerant in a repressive way. That's useless, frankly. I'm just going to tolerate, I'm just going to tolerate, I'm just going to, <laughs> you know. Yes? You're just kind of holding down all your negative emotions and then one day they explode. That's not that's not tolerance. That's not tamta tiksha birth Tolerance is we develop really good character. So sometimes we can use the most negative association as an impetus to really develop the good character that we want to develop. Let me see if I can be kind and compassionate to this person. Let me see if I can maintain an attitude of kindness and compassion without being negatively affected by their association. And just imagine if one can do that, how strong one will become. One will get real strength. So again, I'm not saying that's easy, but the, res- but the results of it are, are really worth it. And it takes work. And in situations like that, you'll probably fail sometimes. But it's worth it to put in the effort if you're in that kind of a situation. You know, how, how can I be the actual humble devotee and the actual good quality devotee dealing with this impossible person? So just to recap, and we could discuss this at great length, we talked about all the different kinds of people we associate with how in ordinary sense we're affected by our association, mostly that we consciously or unconsciously try to mold ourselves to please the people around us, how the association with devotees acts on a higher platform, that not only does that operate, but we're also operating on a transcendent platform, that when we associate with devotees and try to please the devotees, we're invoking the mercy of the Lord, that we associate with devotees through the six loving exchanges, Done according to our particular relationship with them, and to know that the relationships we have with others is a very individual thing. You can't just say, oh, this is a senior person in every. Or this is a. That, that one has to have a, a fluid, individual, and responsive relationships with others. That we should also relate to everybody in terms of being non envious jolly for those who are superior to us even materially not bragging to those who are our equals and helping those who are oppressed and if we do that we won't be unaffected by the material miseries and then finally looking at how we deal with difficult with people who are both bad association and intimate with us so thank you very much i hope you found something here that you can put into effect in your lives. This is a very deep topic. Obviously, this is something I'm sure we could spend, oh, another five or six seminars on, right? Mm-hmm. On, on different areas of this topic. So I want to thank you very much. I appreciate your coming here on a weeknight and staying until nine. Hare Krishna, i to